Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with Privacy Mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network, and this is Center Court, and uh, this is going to be a great a great day uh, and a great uh, show because I know a little bit about Cedric Maxwell's personality, Ralph. You know a lot more. This guy could carry a whole day, let alone just an hour. Mac, he's a character in his own right. And not only when he played, but still is today. Good friend. We used to play. I mean, he was one of them old Wiley vets that I had when I got into the NBA a couple years later. He came from the, he came from the Clippers. He played with Boston and, and the teams up there, the Clippers, and he came to us in Houston. And, you know, we played cards at night after a game just to get away from the game. We lose. Let's go to the room and play cards. So he knew how to, you know, really come in as a seasonal vet and then get us younger guys uh, up to speed and relax about the game, enjoy the game, also have fun. Even in practice, he had fun. So uh, Cedric Maxwell Cornbread, uh, nickname, <laughs> uh, you know, all-world guy, good friend, and I'm looking forward to this. Would you consider him a locker room leader? I mean, he seems like a guy that would be just an instant leader, at least. I, you know, I know he was a role player with the Celtics, but do, do you see him as a locker room leader? You know, when he played, uh, he definitely a locker room leader when he came to us mm-hmm. uh, and on the court, on the bench. You know, you need, you know, even today's game, you need that seasonal vet that knows how to, you know, when you're up, keep you up. When you're down, bring you up. And he was that type of guy for us in Houston because of his uh, year in Boston with Larry Bird, Robert Harris, Kevin McHale, and that crew. And, you know, he played an instrumental role with them winning a couple of championships in Boston as well. So uh, for us, he was a great person to have on the bench and playing. He, he got minutes, he played, and, um, you know, we needed some help. He stepped in, and he did a lot of things for us in Houston. Yeah, that 87 team, and I, I was looking at the roster, 
before we, uh, you know, hit the airwaves. And of course, Akeem was a big part of that. Uh, and I know you've talked a lot about Rodney McCray, but Dirk Minifield, I forgot, was on that yeah. was on that team as well. You you had some studs on that '87 team. I know you got beat by the SuperSonics in the playoffs, but there were some pretty good players on that team. Well, you know, you bring up Dirk Minifield, which that year was a bad taste in all of our mouth because he turned the ball over against Seattle that <laughs> lost us the game and go to the yeah. championship again. And so uh, I tease him all the time about that. But you know, Mac, me and Dirk go way back uh, to high school. Mm-hmm. And if I would have went to Kentucky, Dirk Mitterfield would have been one of seven high school All-Americans on that Kentucky team. Wow. If I'd have played at Kentucky. So wow. Sam Boyd, Dirk Mitterfield, Charlie Hurd, Charlie Hort. It had been all the cast of characters. So we go way, way back. And he's part of that class in 1979 high school. All right. We talk, we've been talked a, a lot since November. You know, all the schools. Are, okay. I don't think I've ever asked you before we go to break. I'm going to ask you, how close were you? To go into Kentucky, man. When I when I took my official <laughs> visit to Kentucky, and uh, my um, my parents went with me, mm. and uh, they stayed for a day and they came back. But Leonard Hamilton, even today, is one of my good friends, coaching wise. We'd have to get him on here one of these days. Florida State coach, great coach. They came into Harrisonburg. They took me down on the plane. Um, he he had a he had a FBI agent escort me from the house to uh, uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And when I got there and I left, I said, I'm going to Kentucky. I'm coming. This is where I want to go. That was my best visit on any college campus. Uh, Dwight Anderson took me around. Uh, the Wildcat Lodge was phenomenal. You know, you had your own room, your own eight-foot bed. You know, it, it had, they had strict rules. And, and Dirk was there as well. And I remember going out one night with them. We got locked out of the Wildcat Lodge. Had to climb through a window to get in. So it was hilarious to kind of do that with that. But I said when I left Kentucky, I was going to go there. My mom, my mom said, slow down. It's just a visit. Let's just go back and we'll see what happens later. So anyway, Kentucky was a good visit for me. At some point, there's a second chapter. Then what got you to Virginia? We'll hold off. On yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, we'll do that another time. Sure. It sounds like Kentucky was the leader in the clubhouse. Well, Cedric is our leader today prior to his card game. I can't wait. We come back on center court on the Winter Circle Network. The one, the only Cedric Maxwell is next. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. I remember many days going to practice and first thing Larry would be reading the paper to see what Magic had done with the late box scores from, you know, what the Lakers had done on the West Coast. And it was just those two fed off each other with an anger. And when they got together, we were in the, the, the most amazing quiet storm. This is Center Court, presented by the Winner's Circle Network in association with the Sampson Family Foundation. 
Welcome into Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. Ralph Sampson and I have, uh, Ralph, I, you've got to do the honors because I think you know this guy a whole lot better than I do, but I have followed him for a lot of years, and to have this icon with us is uh, is pretty special. So go ahead and do the honors. The only thing I can tell you is uh, somebody had the ugliest jump shot I mean, the ugliest uh, running one hand jump hook that he couldn't get off the floor by about an inch in his career. So the dirty, and then, you know, we played cards a lot uh, after game that night. So build a good relationship there. So anyway, the one only from the Boston Celtics, I got this picture behind me that reminds me of, you know, the Boston Celtics. That was in 1986 when we came up there and got it done. But uh, he played with me in Houston, Cedric Maxwell, the one and only. So thank you for joining us here. And and uh, what's going on? We got, you know, got this coffee cup shirt on. And where, where you at? I know you're sitting in the car. Where you at? What are you doing? I'm actually, in, I'm actually in Charlotte. Uh, my buddies and I, I'm going to go into my buddy's house. We're doing a, got a few fun things. We normally play a little bit with. So I'm sitting out here now before this. And uh, this coffee cup shirt was a shirt of a, uh, a black owned restaurant that was in Charlotte. Maybe about, uh, it started about 55 years, 60 years ago and lasted until about 10 years ago, then went out of business. So this is uh, uh, my homage to this particular restaurant. And Mac, I'm honored. Uh, he's giving, I mean, a Big Wiz game. Now, he, he, he comes on our show before a Big Wiz game. So that that's that's an honor because uh, he, he can play cards for sure. Yeah, and I don't even know what that game is. So. Exactly, I don't know what Big Wiz is. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, Cedric, I, as I said, people just know you from, yeah, those days with the Celtics. And I, I just remember your Final Four run uh, and how special that was. And I, if I'm not mistaken, you became kind of a national legend at that time, didn't you? Maybe it was the nickname, maybe it was, but you, didn't you really just become just a household word during that run? And, and Yeah, we came on the scene and, uh, you know, the reporters the year before that, we played in the NIT and some my friends were joking around and said, I look like that guy named Cornbread. <laughs> and the reporter heard it, and it was Jamal Wilkes who had played in the movie called Cornbread Earl and Me. And when they heard them say that, the reporters immediately said Cornbread Maxwell. So it went from me, you know, now it was not eating cornbread, but looking like the guy who played in the movie. And once that happened, the next year we played and we got to the final four, it was, and I was a guy bringing, I was a big man just like, Ralph back in the day, bringing the ball up, mm -hmm. they weren't used to that. And it was not the traditional way of playing. And, and I got one of the best compliments actually from uh, Magic Johnson, who came a couple of years later and said, look, I saw you playing college. I saw you bringing the ball up the floor. He said, and that told me that I could do what you were going to do. So there have been some great compliments, and, and that happened to be one of them from a guy that I really still hate today, Magic Johnson. <laughs> yeah, we, we love to hate him. It's all good because, you know, he, he, he did some damage to everybody. But anyway, I'm, I'm actually one of the projects I'm working on, there's some people that uh, came out to me and said they want to remake the movie Cornbread Earl and Me for the today's screen. So wow. Jamal and that crew. So that may be coming back. So that, you know, your, your cornbread stories may be coming back soon here. Wow, that would that would be interesting. I mean, they're they're kicking back, bringing all these old things back, and they're making money. And if LeBron James can make some damn money off Space Jam, I can make some money off cornbread early. There you so go. There you I, go. I think there that you way, you know, we see these things like Uncle Drew and all these other things coming out. So 
Yeah, I feel confident to come in and do something and have a good time. Uncle yeah. Drew, you, you bring that movie out. I get mean shotgun dressed up as uncle or whatever and play basketball. Come on, that's I mean, if that can come back, cornbread can come back. And Cedric, you did not. You weren't happy with that nickname early, though, right? No, I, I really didn't mind it. You know, okay. anything that's gonna any kind of publicity, and we came from a, a small school, UNC Charlotte, and uh, that we made it to the Final Four. We were one of the first teams ever to be. You know, I think we were maybe ten years into a uh, being a major university and being in a conference to go to the Final Four. So, for us to get the publicity one way or the other was really good, and and we enjoyed. It. Uh, we had we had so much fun. The only thing we were disappointed about that year was the location of the Final Four. Because we were in Charlotte. Hell, the location was in Atlanta. We went to one of these places like Seattle, you go to Mexico, Los Angeles, any place. But we had to go to Atlanta to play it and, and it was in the Omni. So that was um that was the only disappointment about that particular run for us. Yeah, Atlanta was not not the best spot to play, but uh, <clears throat> unlike today, it was only what how many teams were in the NCAA? I mean, got sixty eight now, but back then it was maybe forty eight or something like that. No, Ralph. At that time, there were thirty two teams. Thirty two. I think it's something like that. The only and the worst and there's one one bad thing about it too was the fact that we had to play the last consolation game. Uh, that was in the big in the big dance, and it was horrible. We scored. We had three guys to score over thirty points, and we played UNLV, and we got beat by ten. <laughs> so I'm running around. Oh, wow. they, <laughs> they they were them dudes were for real. No, they were. They, that was, and UNLV always had guys, you know, like Grandma real. They always shot the ball. Something I don't know how talking them got them, but uh, obviously we we wasn't on that payroll. You no, know, you you know how they got them. Come on. Yeah. It, the real side. Did, wait a minute. You think everybody going to Vegas for what reason? <laughs> come, on, come on, man. Come on, Stick. You, you better than that. Well, we, 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 the last couple weeks we've been talking about this name, image, and likeness. So, so we got to go back and get paid because we, we didn't get paid enough in college. Man, we didn't. The only thing I got out in college was uh, that was illegal was I got a pizza one time. That somebody <laughs> slid over to me and like, yo, you don't have to pay for it. But that was about it. So that name and all that, all that stuff, especially for a guy like you who was the national player of the year, man, I don't know how much money. I just read about some high school kid who was in the, I wouldn't say that he was a sophomore, that he just signed some contract for a million dollars. Oh, yeah. Right. Good God yeah. Almighty. You got a gymnast at LSU that's going to make a million just with her Instagram account. So, Cedric, when did you meet Ralph for the first time? Uh, the first time I actually met Ralph was when we played against uh, we when he was in when he was in Houston, his first year in Houston. And, and that was the first time. And then after that preceding time, saw him with Elijah Juan and uh, then finally got traded to um, traded to Houston from L.A. And uh, Bill Fitch wanted me over there, and it was uh, Elijah Wan and Ralph together, uh, the the original tri- Twin Towers. And man, I I had so much fun. I got so much respect for those guys, and uh, the way they embraced me was just so cool, man. It wasn't like there was the only one that was a little nervous. Uh, Ralph was uh, Rodney McRae. <laughs> Rodney, Rodney McRae was playing the three spot, and I played a little three. And Rodney hadn't gotten his contract yet. So 
Rodney was thinking I was coming in trying to take his time. I was like, Rodney, <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to get you your minutes, bro. I'm here to help you. I'm here to push you forward. But uh, man, th- those were some, those three dudes right there were as athletic maybe as any three guys that I can remember ever in the NBA. With Ralph, his length, his size, his speed, his quickness, Elijah just unbelievable. And then you look at Rodney McCray, just freakish at 6'8", and handled the ball, foot speed, was going to dunk on you. Those, those were amazing athletes. Not only these basketball players, but amazing athletes. But you know, that the whole era, Mac, started to point forward. You, Rodney, Robert mm-hmm. Reed, right? Because you know, we, we, we had some light guards that, that, that couldn't handle some of the things we had to do. But that started the whole point forward phenomenon, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it did. I, you know, you look at Bill Fitch, who he was, and and then you look at Larry Bird. Larry Bird was a point forward. Yep. And then we have guys on our team were handling the basketball. So it it was um it was just scary. And when you think about guys that size, I remember the first game I ever played against Julius Serving. I, I you know I, I I was I was mesmerized. <laughs> I, I was I was watching this dude. I might as well have been a, a major D. I remember looking, saying to myself one time, he made a move and I was going to be guarding him. I'm like, damn, that was a hell of a move. <laughs> Rick Roby, Archibald back. Maxwell, that's where he's tough, as inside. Great respect for his shooting. Bird, Maxwell, and another follow by Maxwell. This time it'll count. Offensive rebounding. Bird all the way this time. Maxwell follows him. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back in the Winner's Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. And Cedric, can you capture, I don't know, it may take you an hour and that's okay. What were your Celtic years like? How much fun was it? Those were unbelievable years. And and I'm going to just kind of jump forward because I'm going to talk about something that a lot of people have not talked about. Mm-hmm. And it was probably one of the most, the, one of the darkest moments that I can remember. And nobody ever talks about this. And it, it involved Ralph Sampson mm-hmm. in the Boston Garden. There was, uh, the Rockets were playing against the Celtics during the championship. Ralph had had, you know, a little dust up with a couple of players. But what they had, they came to Boston and they had a, I know it was a mannequin from the top, from the second, the second balcony. And they had a noose around this, uh, around his neck. And it was, it was Ralph Sampson's jersey on it. Could you imagine in this day and time with that ever happening? But nobody has ever talked about that particular thing. And I talked to Ralph one time about it on my podcast. He said, man, that was, that was something, but nobody, everybody just kind of it's it's blind you mm-hmm. can go back and actually see this video of this mannequin or whatever it was hanging from the wreck and then then security finally came and took it down but can you imagine that even happening these days no not at all cedric with all the talk of boston too because you hear i've heard interviews with lebron james and a lot of guys did you find boston to be kind of a a tough city to live. Was it a, for lack of a better word, was it a racist city? No, no. But Ralph would, 
know as well as I, I do that Boston does not have the monopoly on racism. I know mm -hmm. some people want to say that about the Celtics and, and all the things in Boston, but here's some facts about Boston. Boston had the first black player ever in the NBA, Chuck Cooper. Red Auerbach also had the first black coach in the NBA, Bill Russell. Mm -hmm. The first starting black five in the NBA were the Boston Celtics. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so all this thing about Red, Red didn't give a damn about racism. <laughs> what Red cared about was one thing about green. That was green money and green Celtics and winning basketball games. So racism from that standpoint, as Ralph would say, and see, both of us come from the South. And so I came, I'm older than Ralph. I was born in 1955. So I lived during that era of Jim Crow where there was a water fountain that had color. And where there was a bathroom, it had whites only and all that. So mm -hmm. I lived that during my entire life. So so Boston, again, does not have a, a monopoly. There's a, a lot of cities in the National Basketball Association, which might have a little bit more of a, a racial tone than Boston. I always enjoy going to the legal seafood and you know, the, the Marriott Hotel, going there and playing. And then going into the garden with the floors all crickety and divots out and you bounce the ball and go one way. Y'all had an advantage on that. And then the locker room was, as Magic would say, was hot as you know what in the locker room in the summer and cold in the winter because they wouldn't turn the heat on. So Red had it teed up, but you know, they, they were avid and still are avid fans in Boston. So I always love going there and playing. Yeah, I think that's the thing about it. you look at certain places and I think they're homegrown. I, I watched your Rocket teams when we played them during the 80s and they got Moses Malone and they got to the championship in 1981. I watched that city grow into a professional basketball league from that point on. And then when you and Akeem and everybody else came, but, but Boston goes back into the 50s, early 50s when they started. So tradition of the game and the intellect of the fans has always been, and, and that's the thing about even Ralph, when I think they hated you and they hated the Rockets, they still respected you because yeah, yeah. of your basketball ability and knowing the game the way they have. Yeah, you, I get that now. If I travel somewhere and you see somebody with a boss and they, they said, we hated you, but, you know, we love you because you're the way you competed and played. So I've gotten that over the years since, since you know, not being, you know, obviously in the league playing. But, yeah, that's definitely a true statement for me. When you beat the Lakers that time, how many – that shot you shot, you just threw it up over your back real quick with a, a point second on it. People still talk about that today as this, you know, unbelievable finish. And, you know, and, and I find that cities like Los Angeles remember you right. for those particular things, which is crazy. Yeah, they do. I mean, especially the true fans, whatever, they make sure they remember you. They come in, you got YouTube, you got all this stuff they can Google now, and so it's kind of crazy. But we didn't have all that. We couldn't go back and look at our highlights. God, today, oh, I did that last night. Okay, great. <laughs> we would say, well, what, what you going to do tonight? Because last night is over. You got to play tonight. Yeah. So we, we got to play. I always love doing podcasts, and I always love to turn the page just a little bit, the script. And I want to ask you a question, because I asked this to Ralph, and I just mm -hmm. want to see what you're going to say. Mm -hmm. Give me your Mount Rushmore of sports. We're building in your backyard. You got four people that you can pick. And we got the construction crew right now ready to go. Boy, <laughs> you get four people. That's all you get is four. And you can go with the same sport. You can go with the different sports. It can be all different types. But give me your Mount Rushmore sports. So, so, so I, you must mean he's the fish person on that Mount Rushmore, right? So he got four. <laughs> <laughs> I only want four. I only four. four. 
can you give me, can you give me, I'm at, because I asked you this already, wow. ready, Ralph, I think. Yes, yes. I'm going to get this from your broadcast partner. See, what, what would you say? Okay, I would start with, uh, I would start with Bill Russell. Okay. All right. And you say it's all sports, right? It's sports. It's sports, yeah. yeah. I think somewhere. Oh man, there's there's too many people. Cedric, this is going to take too long. You I, can't. Can, you can I can I give you can I give you eight candidates? Can I give you? <laughs> give you, uh, you cannot give me eight candidates. We are putting you right now to four, the test. You, you um, give me your mouth more. Bill Russell, Lou Gehrig, okay. probably Jack Nicholas. Okay. And that I mean, and, and always, if I mentioned Jack, was always a killer. But I can't put two. I can't put two golfers in a final four because because Tiger belongs. You can. As you a can. Great, this, this is this is your Mount Rushmore. <laughs> My Mount. Yeah, I I would put. Yeah, I would probably put Bill Russell, Lou Gehrig, Tiger Woods, and probably Jack Nicklaus. Now, you know, I'm gonna tell you mine. And it was always interesting. I That's a great question. That. I've I never think, been asked that question. <laughs> Never. I, I, well, no, I mean, here's the thing I always say. I put Muhammad Ali. I uh, see. I Michael forgot him. Yeah, I should have put Muhammad. Yeah, in my, there. Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, uh, I put Serena Williams was the other one I had. Tiger mm. Woods, and one of my favorites of all time was uh, Willie Mays. I need to build four Mount Rushmores, and you know you cannot <laughs> build four. <laughs> you only get one. Right? You only get one. Now, this is what I love about this question because guys like. Your broadcast part it makes them nervous because they know they they left somebody out that yeah. they he'll be calling me tonight going whoa whoa can I change that? <laughs> One of the greatest stories of my life was after when Ralph graduated and there there was a guy who wrote a book about Ralph in Charlottesville and we were doing a broadcast outside the bookstore in Charlottesville and Muhammad Ali had bought a farm just south of Charlottesville, Nelson County, and Muhammad Ali and his two bodyguards showed up at our radio broadcast oh. remote and Muhammad Ali climbed in our broadcast van and sat down right next to me. And we proceed. He wanted to meet the reason he was there. Muhammad Ali wanted to meet Ralph. Damn. And I mean, Cedric, Damn. it was, uh, I, I mean, I could go longer and longer in the story, but I'll just keep it short. But I mean, it was the most, and then the next night they invited me to, be the master of ceremonies, and I got to shadow box with Muhammad Ali in front of two thousand people. So that's how the the weekend ended. But but Muhammad Ali wanted to meet the seven four wow. icon, who I've told people, and I, I don't mind bragging about him. I've told people that Ralph was bigger than the Beatles. And when I tell people now, and I'm old, I, I was born in fifty three. Okay, so that's why I followed you. And but I told I've told people Ralph was bigger, better than Zion. I just couldn't dunk like him. <laughs> we didn't do all that crazy stuff like that. But you know what? Ralph Ralph was before social media. Could you imagine how big Ralph would have been with social media? And 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 I'm talking about not only his ability to play the game, but his intellect. And that's the that's mm -hmm. the thing I think now that makes me crazy when I look at some of these guys who have these platforms and and I am I have so much admiration for a mm -hmm. guy like LeBron James the way he's handled right. all this pressure that to me is absolute but because me and Ralph has been we've been in that league where how can you not screw up I mean LeBron James <laughs> I don't understand that rap I, I even I asked some of the bodyguards in Cleveland one time when he was there I said man how do y'all keep that dude out of trouble because that's almost <laughs> impossible, being, being that kind of icon.
staying married, kids raising, staying, staying in the right lane. But, you know, what, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas sometimes. But uh, <laughs> you know, that's just the way it goes. But he, he's a good guy. Now, he, especially where he comes from, his mom and that. He's got his head on the show. He knows that he's an iconic player that's going to transcend history for, for a long time. But, but Ralph, they have these things right here. No, absolutely. absolutely. How can this man not be in trouble? I don't understand that. <laughs> everybody, everybody has one of these when it's like the other day he was in actually, I think it was in Phoenix, yes. and he was at the game and he was drinking tequila and it wasn't something that they had sold in the building. <laughs> so people were pissed His own stash, his own stash. Yeah. That's what I and, and then he had some sunglasses on so he couldn't see his eyes. So that's the way that worked. <laughs> and, yeah, and like, we were, like we weren't going to know who he was. Giannis was asked if he went to say hi to LeBron. And Giannis, age 26, said, I didn't have time. I focused on the game. <laughs> so how about that? Wow. He did not go talk to him. Basketball was basketball, but I don't think I got any better than that seven-game series, just the physicality, the thinking, the fighting. I'm like you. As much as I love when we beat Houston, I always thought that it was even better when we beat the Lakers because of the nature of the two teams and a guy we idolized. We, we, you and I love Kareem. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome back in the Winter Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson, our guest, Cedric Cornbread Maxwell, one of the greats. And uh, Cedric, being in radio uh, all my life, have you enjoyed the uh, radio trail? I know you've done a lot of radio now, doing radio with the Celtics. Have you enjoyed that part of uh, the business? I, I have. It took, it took me a little bit longer and will take anybody uh, a, a little bit longer if you're on the other side. If you're the the, the color commentator, then mm -hmm. it's different than being the analyst over there because your window of opportunity, as you know, when you have somebody, you cannot be long-winded as the analyst. Yours has to be a yes, no, wow, that was cool. <laughs> you know, it, has to be, it has to be really precise. I always say, if you're going to be do my job, you know, try to be funny, try to be intellectual, and try to have a, a good script in all in five seconds. And that's about as much time as you have. So I have really enjoyed that process, though, of being on the other side. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I mean, and, that, and that's a good segue. So, you know, the era we played in to the era today, most people ask this question, I'm sure you heard it a thousand times. Can we play with the era today and could they play with us? Uh, Steph Curry would have been beat up by now uh, in his first couple yeah. of years. He couldn't come down through the lane and, and do what he does, right in them threes. You know, DJ and them would have beat him up you know, all day long. So what's your opinion of that? Because I, I don't know. I don't think they could have. I mean, LeBron, him, yeah, they probably could have played, right? They'd have been very good, talented players. But most of those guys, imagine a, a Lopez shooting three-pointers. I mean, Bill Fisher yeah, yeah. shot 33 <laughs> points in my career. That, 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 that part, I think, is really funny. I know we all like to kind of kick and say, well, Steph couldn't do that. Steph, do where he's shooting from? He's shooting from half court. We won't exactly. guard people out there. I am looking at guys like Damian Lillard. And Damian Lillard might be my favorite player in the league because yeah. what I love about him is he has swagger. And I love to see NBA players now. What I hate about the NBA game is that they've taken some of the fun and some of the psychological war out of a game just by talking noise. You right. know, you used to be able to get in the guy's head when you played against a guy and he couldn't do anything with you. Now in the NBA, you can't say two words to the guy without, you know, being a challenge or being a technical. 
So that part of the game, I really don't like now. I mean, I was watching Jalen Brown came in and dunked on Giannis. Uh, yeah. He's with the Celtics. He put his muscles up like this. And they gave him a technical. I'm like, you're going to get to do the technical for that? Cedric, what was the Celtics-Lakers rivalry all about? Was it bigger than Bird and Magic? It was. It it was. On so many different levels. As much as it was about Larry, as much as it was about Magic, uh, it was also about Black and about White. Because most people felt like the Boston Celtics were a white team. Although we had great black players, mm-hmm. most people looked at our team as a white team with Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. They didn't think about myself and Dennis Johnson and mm-hmm. Robert Parrish and <laughs> Nate Archibald and going down the line. But so it did become it did become a thing. Uh, the day that I really found out to how great Larry Bird was to me and how he had, how he had crossed over in the black community was the day I went to a barbershop, a black barbershop. There's always a picture of Jesus. There's always a picture of Muhammad Ali. And right beside that picture was Larry Bird in a black barbershop. They're praying to him too. That was my thing about playing. You know, all these other people are telling these stories about Larry. I remember my first game against him, I had averaged um, – like 22 points a game. Um, my 20 points a game, my second year in the league, mm-hmm. and 10 rebounds. So when Larry came in, I'm the big cheese. He comes in against me. And, you know, Ralph, the thing about me, I'm, you know, being from the South, I didn't think a white guy could play anyway. I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. This, 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 I'm thinking, when you walked on the court, I said, well, he's slow. He's not that, he's not that good looking. And let me see what's going to happen. Man, you know, we went out for the first couple of plays and, you know, I, I made my points and then he was knocking down shots. And I remember walking to the first black person I could see after that practice. And I said, you know what? That damn white guy can play right there. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was my and I said, God's a funny God. God doesn't give me the best white player to play. He gives me two of the best players, <laughs> right. players of the play and Kevin McHale yeah. and, and Larry Bird. So it, it's just really an interesting tone. Well, that's what I miss about the game when I watch today, what are, the art of the game, right? The post-ups, the, the strategy. Right now, I'm just pick and roll, pick and pop, shoot a ball, get a rebound, try to score. To me, um, the, you know, UCLA cuts or UCLA you know, fast breaks or offense, whatever. I miss that part about it. That's what I miss most about the game of basketball today. But, Ralph, I think here's certain, certain players I always say. I think you would have been even better in this particular league. Oh, I would love, love to play now. Because – because of your ability to stretch out the floor. I say the same thing about Larry Bird. I believe yeah. Larry Bird, as great as he was during that era, I think he'd been better player now. Right. Because you think of Luka Dantich, who Luka Dantich is and what he does. Larry Bird was doing the same thing and, to, and could do the same thing in this league right now. The ability to knock down shot. Now, the rest of us, we would have to change our games. Yeah, it was it was fun to play. Yeah, don't doubt. I mean... Just trying to play in that era or this area. I, was, I mean, not only playing-wise, but financially, it had been really, really good. It seems, of all that I've watched, never quit talking to anybody. I mean, he got in everybody's head, right, Cedric? He got in everybody's head, right? Larry learned that art from myself, <laughs> ML Carr, and Dennis Johnson. We were all blabbermouths. And Larry picked that up and took it to another level. 
I remember one of the things I loved that Larry said, and, and he kind of got that one from me one day was, we had somebody guard me from another team. And I looked over at the coach on the other team. I was like, dude, y'all must don't want to win. <laughs> if you don't let this dude guard me, this is, this is impossible. And, and Larry took it to another level. He was the same way. Like, wait a minute, you're going to put, and, and Larry was insulted when you put a white guy on it. He was insulted. He was like, you have got to be kidding me. I remember we had uh, Mark Averoni guarded him for Philadelphia. Oh, Larry was just beside himself because, <laughs> you know, that Billy Cunningham would have the audacity to put Mark Averoni on. We go there. Robbery, Rockery, right? He would always try to beat Larry to the gym before the game, in the playoffs and in the regular season. He could never do it because Larry there two, three hours before getting shots up, resting, whatever. Robert could never beat Larry. So Larry haunted Robert during the season. He hated to see that 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 date with that team come up because Larry beat him all the time, merely before he got to the gym. Yeah, but when a guy gets in your head like that, it is it is something to be marveled at. And I remember watching Nakeem Olajuwon go up against David Robinson oh after God. they gave him the, gave him Nightmare. the MVP trophy, and that was. That was akin to child abuse. Oh my God. He, <laughs> he, beat, he beat David every way possible. Spin moves up and under, <laughs> head takes, step through every play. And this is what was crazy. You knew this about Ralph. You knew this about Elijah Juan as well as any of us was the fact that he could mimic your moves almost better than you could. Oh, yeah. one day, you, you talked about my jump hook. I remember he told me, he said, Maxi. I'm going to have that jump hook of yours tomorrow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it took me 20-something years. And he goes, he comes in the next game, he shoots the jump hook, and then winks over at me. I'm like, damn. <laughs> it's just not fair. It's just not fair. He was Very talented. Very talented, for sure. And David Robinson definitely didn't want to see him coming. Cedric, what made you such a great rebounder? Who, who taught you the art of, of rebounding and working under the basket the way you did? Who taught you all the all, all of my that? My mom. My mom. <laughs> seriously. No, really, seriously, my mom did. My mom was a was a, a player in, in college. She played college basketball in North Carolina uh, uh, Central uh, in 1954. And she played around the rim. And this is when they had girls specializing. Yeah, six on six, three on three. And yeah, yeah. She, was, she was an offensive machine, and she played around the rim. She was the one that taught me how to play the game. So, look, man, I'm telling you right now, that was it was it was unreal just to play. And for me, guys always said, "Well, Max, you we haven't seen you shoot, you know, from the outside." Well, you know, I'm always I always said this. If you can't stop me from three feet away, why am I, why am I to go 15? Why, I, you can't stop me right here. So I, I've always believed in, you know, high percentage shots. That was my thing. Yeah, we got some – my mom played in high school in College of Virginia State. She said uh, – she taught me the hook shot. I'm like, okay, in the backyard of, of – of, of, Yes. Where was a dirt basketball floor, court, dirt, and a chain link type of uh, net. So – I definitely appreciate that for sure because she said she taught me. I don't know how much she taught me, but you know she said it all day at long every day right now, so it's good. Yeah, my mom played when the basketball floor was divided in thirds, yes. and she was a running center in I, the middle. Yeah, I never heard of a running center. I mean, yeah, how about you, that? 
I want to ask you who you would invite to dinner. That, that was my last question. As, as we and I got to get this up. No, as we get I, ready to wrap up, you, you can invite four people for dinner. They can bring their wives or husbands or boyfriends, girlfriends. You got four invitations for dinner. Cedric. I don't need four. I don't need them to bring their wives or the girlfriends. <laughs> All right. I we've want, eliminated want, them. Okay. No, I want, I want, I want Barack Obama. Cause okay. I just, Oh man, God, I just, He's the one guy that I mean I, I would absolutely go. I think Serena Williams because she is a she may be the greatest one of the greatest mm. athletes ever to play any sport. Bill Russell yeah. because of how how he went back during those times in segregation, and then Muhammad Ali because mm -hmm. he would upstage all of them. Yeah. Those would be the four people. I don't need yeah. them to bring wives, bring <laughs> girlfriends. Those, if you give me those four people, and they came and they sat in my living room, and I could cook them my my uh, sweet potato pie, oh my, yeah, oh my, yeah, my my uh, fish, my banana pudding. Uh, I make a, a mean um, uh, Jamaican jerk soup, man, and I can get a little bit of wine and some uh, uh, some alcohol, man. That would be, that, that would be the best podcast ever in life i'm telling please, you please tell me you're gonna serve cornbread just please tell me you're gonna put cornbread on the table cornbread for you at the end of the day i will put some cornbread out there. i would tell you i would tell you so they got the great relationship with bill he actually traded for me from from golden state to sacramento he came to college at uva when i was there but he was at the hall of fame now how erotic they elect bill brussels second time hall of fame as a coach he coached 70 years ago or something like that. Now we're going to put him in the Hall of Fame again as a coach. But he and his wife drove from Seattle to, 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 to Hartford. And then they came through Virginia and stayed a whole day, hung out with me, took wow. me to lunch and dinner, hung out for the day. Then they drove to Atlanta. And you know, so, I, I mean, to me, if they, who's the greatest ever is Bill Russell. Bill Russell, wow. for sure. Cedric, thank you so much. This has been too much fun. And uh, we'd love to have you back because we didn't get enough covered. I totally enjoyed it. I can't wait to get back again and talk to you guys. And and here again, I got my T-shirt on. Coffee shop. Coffee cup. Coffee <laughs> cup. Charlotte, North Carolina. It's all about that. So, gentlemen, thank you very much for having me on with you. Max. Thank you, Cedric. Cedric Maxwell, this is the Winter Circle Network. This is Center Court. Ralph and I return right after this. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. Great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. Welcome back on the Winner's Circle Network with Ralph Sampson. And uh, that was too much fun. And I'm going to have a lot of fun going back through it and listen to, to Cedric. And again, there's there's got to be, Ralph, a part two with Cedric Maxwell at some point. That was way too good. 
Well, Mac, I, I want to get Cedric and some of the other guys that we played with, at least maybe one or two. You get too many on here, it'd be kind of crazy. But yeah. all the stories, Rodney McCray and us playing, just to get those guys and hear the stories, I think those type of series or shows will be special for us. So I, let's think about that, get Cedric back and some other guys as well, because he, you know, he's a special guy. I mean, yeah, really special he, he really is. And, and I think very, very inspirational. He's got a lot of things to say. And plus, I, I've still got to figure out who I'm having to dinner and my Mount Rushmore. Exactly, uh, exactly. I know I, bl I blew, I totally blew the answer and I, I got to get Muhammad Ali in there. So anyway, that, uh, that was really good. Hey, before we go, and I know you let it, uh, out of the bag last week and you know very very proud and i know you're proud the ralph Sampson tap house is going to be opening in in charlottesville you're hoping by the end of september anyway what are you learning about this business <laughs> what are you learning about the restaurant business i mean every day is something different that uh, either i get or somebody calls or whatever and i go by you know Bear's road every now and then since being in charlottesville and mm -hmm. it's uh interesting to see one i like the construction part i like to see kind of go from a to z sure and uh, so i'll start posting some other stuff on social media here uh in the coming days but also understanding that you get a lot of phone calls or a lot of text <laughs> from people that you know hadn't texted you for a while like i i want to come how can i get there when are you opening you know what kind of food do you want to have what's sure. the core going to be what's the color of the restaurant like Hold on, wait a minute. Just wait till I post it all. You'll see what it's like. So it's interesting to see people's perspective of that as well. I mean, you got menu decisions, you got pricing decisions, you've got food decisions. Every everything. What are your drinking glasses going to look like? Do you realize that all the little just decisions that I know you've got some people working on those decisions, but I know you also want the input. This Ralph, this is not this is not building a house. This is, I mean, this, there are a lot more decisions to be made. And Mac, think about it. So you got the hub of the restaurant, but you got all these little spokes from the from the credit card machine. Oh, yeah. The drink dispensers, you know, potentially uh, uh, the waitress and waiters wearing Puma gear, Puma <laughs> shoes, and, and the number on the back of the shirt to, you know, what the floor color is going to look like. So it's a lot of moving parts and have a great team with the Warren Thompson Hospitality Group because, they, they've done this before, so I'm, I'm pretty good at just giving my opinion and understanding what it wants to look like. So it should be fun, and I look forward to everybody coming out. But it's going to be something different than Charlottesville scene. I'll do that. All right, final question and a one, one little insight. Are the colors orange and blue being incorporated somewhere in there? Somewhere. <laughs> Don't know exactly where yet, but you got to have orange and blue somewhere. That's, that's a must. And maybe a little rocket, you know, red and yellow and white. Sure. Uh, as well, but definitely yeah. going to intercorporate. It'll be, it'll be colorful. It'll be fun. Uh, you know, we got the outdoor area as well. This will be fun. I can't wait till this football games and basketball games. Oh free. yeah, uh, yeah. We'll get. We'll bring back Michael Clever and do some video stuff. We got to get That's the team perfect. together. Yeah, we know, so That's it's gonna be perfect. fun. To, it'll be fun to see. That's be fun to watch. All right, have a good week. Make your decisions. I hope it goes well. I'll see you next weekend at some point. Absolutely. He is Ralph Sampson. He has center court. It's the Winner's Circle Network. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work.
Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.